I'm Lillian Vasquez, and this is Inland Edition. Diagnosed cases of COVID-19 are on the rise again, and depending on where you go and when, some people still wear masks indoors and some do not. Should we be masking, and does it really help control the spread of the virus? This week on Inland Edition, we wanted to hear from an expert, and we found one. So today on Inland Edition, we'll speak with Juliette Morrison. She's assistant professor with the Department of Plant Biology and Plant Pathology at UC Riverside. She's been closely following the pandemic and studying how the virus spreads. Stay with us for an insightful episode of Inland Edition right after this news. You're listening to Inland Edition on 91.9 KVCR. I'm Lillian Vasquez. My guest is Juliet Morrison. She's assistant professor with the Department of Microbiology and Plant Pathology at UCR. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. So mass mandates go back and forth and with possibly good reason. Based on today in June, where do you fall on the issue and is it still an issue? Well, I believe it is still an issue, and I am firmly um, of the belief that we should actually be mandating masks indoors. Right now, we are still seeing a rise in cases, and we are, despite the fact that many people are walking around without masks, and a lot of people think that this pandemic is over, the rise in cases show us otherwise. We are seeing more illness, and we are seeing um, increased cases of hospitalization, which uh, would indicate that the disease is on the rise and that there's increased transmission. And the best way for us to actually cut that down is for more people to be wearing masks and for more people to be distancing socially. And so I think that we should actually be mandating the wearing of masks. Okay, and I'm wondering if you'll share a little bit about your background that allows you to reach that opinion. So I am a a virologist, so I study viruses um, specifically. I I have a PhD in microbiology um, from Columbia University, and I've been studying influenza virus, dengue virus, and now SARS-CoV-2 virus for many years. SARS-CoV-2 is an RNA virus. And I'm also especially interested in respiratory pathogens. And so SARS-CoV-2 is a respiratory pathogen. And so for me, seeing this pandemic that is being caused by a respiratory pathogen that we know can be prevented by the use of masks and by social distancing, it it affects me um, profoundly because we know how to actually combat this. All right. So let's talk about the mask and the mask wearing Recently, I guess it's been a couple of months since you had an article published regarding the mask and public and mass transit. And that's where our desire to interview you stemmed from. And it was regarding mass transportation. So based on what your first answer was in that you still believe people should be wearing masks, then I'm guessing you really believe they should be wearing it when they're traveling? Certainly. So I think um, people should be wearing it on planes, um, when they're traveling, in, on buses, and in any crowded venue. So when we think about crowded venues, I often think of baseball or baseball parks or the theater, crowded venues. Is it your opinion that you think we should be wearing them even though we're outdoors? 
on some of those? I think it depends, honestly. If you're very close to each other, then sure. But if people are far enough apart and it's breezy, I don't necessarily, I don't think you need a mask. But if there's not a lot of airflow and everyone's really very, very close to each other, then certainly, yes. If you can breathe on each other and feel it, then you probably should be wearing a mask. Got it. And what about uh, when we're flying, as more people are starting to travel again, where are you on the idea of airline masks? Well, I traveled recently and I kept my mask on the whole time, um, except to take a few sips of um, water and to have a, a, a snack. And I noticed that a lot of people weren't wearing masks. I had hopes that more people would because the more people who are wearing it, then, you know, the more we're all protected. But I do believe that people should be wearing it in that close situation. So when I get on a plane, I have my mask on. I make sure to turn on the airflow above me because engineers have recommended that having that airflow on on high actually helps circulate the air better. That would be my recommendation there. But yeah, if you have a mask, wear it. It definitely helps. All right. Now, in my unprofessional opinion in this field, I was wondering if COVID and the the likes of it was going to be more seasonal moving forward, meaning when it's flu season, it's going to be on the rise, when it's not as much flu season. But that's just my antidotal thoughts. Where are you? It sounds like it might not be a seasonal thing for you, that it's all year round. You know, it's really hard to say at this point. The pandemic has progressed, and now that we've seen Omicron come along, where we're seeing that it's definitely a milder presentation of the disease. And with um, infections like this, where we start off with, uh, when we have pandemics, we end up having milder variants arise and eventually the disease becomes endemic. It's possible and what people are hoping and what specialists do believe is that inevitably COVID-19, COVID will become endemic and that maybe it will be seasonal. And so that's what I'm betting on. But at this point, I think it's too early in the game. It's not going to be next year, probably, but eventually I think it will be something that's seasonal. We're already seeing that the virus is becoming less pathogenic, but it's still too early to say because there's still so many infections going on and there's still so many parts of the world that are still unvaccinated. So there are multiple chances for this virus to gain additional mutations, so we can we still can't quite say where it's going to end up, pathogenicity-wise. All right. Let me reintroduce our guest is Juliet Morrison. She's assistant professor with the Department of Microbiology and Plant Pathology at UCR. So based on what you just said, let me just touch a little bit. Before we leave the subject of masks, I do want to ask about the virus itself and vaccines. But Masks, when, when we're talking about that, any mask is better than no mask or only specific masks are useful? Any mask is better than no mask, but now that masks are plentiful, I would say at minimum, try to get a surgical mask. And if you can, an N95 is best. Okay. But if you can't get an N95, a regular surgical mask um, will do the trick. And if you can double up on that, certainly. 
for me, for the most part, I've been using surgical masks for, for most things. If I'm traveling on a plane, I, I wear an N95. Got it. Okay. So are you comfortable talking a little bit about vaccines and booster options from your scientific background to see, is this going to become a, a yearly occurrence? Is that the route that we're heading down in your opinion? I think at this point, it's, um, I'm not sure. I think right now, I think we're pretty well covered with this third booster and a fourth booster for, for high-risk populations. Now, if we continue seeing these changes in the virus and viruses change, that's what they do as they, as they continue to replicate. If we continue to see multiple changes, maybe we'll, maybe we'll need an additional booster in a year. But that's not necessarily the case. The, the, the studies coming out now are not showing that additional boosters are making that much of a difference compared to a third booster. So fourth boosters are not making much of a difference compared to a third booster in healthier populations. So I don't think right now we should be saying that we're going to need boosters every year for this particular virus. But you are saying a booster is important, a second or a third would be important as well at this particular time. If if people haven't gone down that road, you, you are suggesting that that might be a good option. Oh, absolutely. If you haven't gotten your, your first booster, you should definitely get it. And if you're in one of the high-risk populations, so if you're elderly or you're immunocompromised, you definitely should be getting that fourth dose, so that second booster, if your um, physician or healthcare provider is recommending that you get it. So definitely the boosters are helping, but on getting additional doses on top of that, none of the studies that I have seen come out are showing any additional benefits on top of those. But in the future, maybe a year from now, maybe there, there will be sufficient changes in new variants that arise. But currently, I'm not seeing anything that would suggest that we need any additional doses apart from the ones that are currently being advised. Very good. So a first, a second, and a third are recommended. And beyond that, you're not quite sure where the future is going to lead us. You're listening to Inland Edition. I'm Lillian Vasquez, speaking today with UCR scientist Juliet Morrison. We're talking about COVID-19 and masking, among other related things. Our conversation continues after a quick break. Please stay with us. This is Inland Edition. I'm Lillian Vasquez, and our guest on the program today is Juliet Morrison, Assistant Professor with the Department of Microbiology and Plant Pathology at UC Riverside. What I heard you describe earlier was the pathogens are changing. Is that what you said? And so does that mean it's getting defeated and it's not spreading as well? Well, so with the Omicron strain, no. So what we've seen is that even it's highly transmissible, yes, but studies have shown that it causes less disease than previous strains of the virus. So what we can say is that even though it's more transmissible and it's infecting more people, it's causing a milder disease. People are still getting sick, though, so you should still be avoiding this. But what the trend is showing is that perhaps as the virus is 
infecting more people and changes are happening. Maybe we're getting a virus that is more adapted to the human population, meaning that it's, it's less likely to cause disease, which, which is what viruses tend to do. Not all the time, but that's what we're hoping that eventually we'll settle into our relationship with this virus so mm. that it will be endemic. So it will just not cause as much disease and won't be a pandemic anymore. But we're not at that stage yet. So when it becomes an endemic, does that mean there's light at the end of the tunnel and life will be a little more normal without masks? Or where do you see that? Yeah, so it would be some. It would be more like how we deal with the flu, where we would have this seasonal thing that goes on, or how we deal with the common cold. But we're not there yet. We are, we're not there yet. I mean, we're trying to um, pretend that we're there yet, but we're not. We're not quite there yet. We still need to acknowledge that we're in a pandemic and that we're still fighting this and that we're, we need to fight it on multiple fronts. We might be handling it sort of well here in this country, but it is definitely ravaging other parts of the world where there are no, where people are not even being vaccinated. So that, there's that as well. And so as long as that's occurring and the virus is multiplying and replicating in other populations, it can acquire mutations and then jump back into our population as well. So do you see from your standpoint that maybe that's kind of hard convincing others because we are wearing a lot less masks at the grocery stores, at the movies, wherever mm-hmm. we're going, we're seeing a lot less. Do you feel like that's an uphill battle from a scientific point that you're trying to, uh, and you and your colleagues and others are trying to convince others that this is still going on? Uh, <laughs> yes, I do. I do um, consider it an uphill battle. I'm not quite sure at this point what else to say. I, I can tell people the facts, but people are adults and we all measure risk differently. What I can say is that there are risks to contracting COVID-19. We do know that there are long-term risks as well. A lot of people now are developing what people are calling long long COVID and having these long-term neurological and lung issues mm-hmm. um, that, you know, defy explanation. So there's that. So the way I try to convince people that it's not, it's not over is that, you know, there, people do get really sick from this and that there are long-term consequences from being ill from COVID. So you must be a lot of fun at a dinner party. Yes. <laughs> or maybe or maybe you're not going to dinner parties. I don't know. I didn't mean to put you on the spot oh, there. Oh, no. I actually do go to dinner parties. Uh, the other thing, too, is that I'm not going to finish. I'm, I don't just cut my life off completely. I, I'm also, uh, I, as I said, risk. you have to do a risk analysis of everything. I have a bunch of rapid tests that I use to figure out whether or not I should attend events. So... I've, I've gone to weddings where I, I wear a mask, but I also give myself a rapid antigen test to make sure that I'm not positive before I go hmm. so that I'm not bringing, you know, COVID to anybody. And do you find those rapid tests to be valid and you can trust them? Should we all put our feel pretty comfortable when we take one of those? I think if you use them um, regularly, yes, they're they're very, they're pretty good at telling you if you are, um, positive, especially if you have a, a lot of virus in your system. Okay. And lastly, I just want to ask, working in your lab, what are your greatest interests? What do you most enjoy studying or trying to prove? 
Okay, so what we um, are most interested in is showing that it's not just the um, virus or the pathogen that is causing the disease. So it's not just the virus that's destroying your cells and that's why you get sick, but in fact that it's sometimes your immune system and because it's overactive or it's acting in ways that it's not supposed to, that actually causes the disease. And so if you can tweak your immune system in very subtle ways, you can actually manage an illness such as influenza or dengue hemorrhagic fever without actually really fighting the virus. All right. Then since you brought that up, how are we tweaking our immune system? What is your recommendation? (laughs) Um, Well, so my, my research right now is very, very preliminary. In the case of influenza, I'm really interested in immune cells called macrophages that we've been exploring different chemicals that we think can change their phenotypes. But that's very, very preliminary. In the case of SARS-CoV-2, what has been going on in the clinic, actually, is that clinicians have been repurposing some older drugs, such as dexamethasone, which Mm. can actually dampen certain immune cells. And by using dexamethasone, they can actually dampen the overreactive immune response that happens in the lungs. And it's this overreactive immune response that actually causes acute respiratory distress syndrome in people who have SARS-CoV-2 infections. And this is what leads to COVID-19 and to lung failure. And in about, actually, I can't, I don't know the percentage, but in a large number of COVID-19 patients, if you give them this dexamethasone, you can actually help them recover from COVID-19. Well, so we are definitely moving forward, and there is a light at the end of the tunnel when we do get sick or to try and prevent us from getting sick. Is that what I'm hearing? Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there are uh, lots of things that are being repurposed, a lot of research that's going on to target not just the virus, but also components of the immune system that are either overreacting or underreacting when you're infected with SARS-CoV-2. And so a lot of work is being done. Let me reintroduce our guest one more time. It's Juliet Morrison. She's assistant professor with the Department of Microbiology and Plant Pathology at UCR. So before I let you go, I just want to ask your greatest takeaway as it regarding this topic, either vaccines or masks. Where are you and what do you want our listeners to know? Well, I think my greatest takeaway um, would be that our immune systems are amazing. Um, They do so much, and we don't even realize it. The mere fact that vaccines work is because our immune responses make them work. And because our immune systems are so amazing and our bodies are so amazing, we should be wearing masks. So it doesn't hurt to wear a mask to help it along. And that's it. All right. Very good. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been great speaking with you. Juliet Morrison is assistant professor with the Department of Plant Biology and Plant Pathology at UC Riverside. You'll find lots of information that might interest you in the article that inspired today's program. We'll include a link to the article when we post today's episode on the Inland Edition program page. again next week for Inland Edition, Wednesday at 2 p.m. and 6.30 right here on KVCR. To hear this episode and past shows, visit our website at kvcrnews.org slash 
Inland Edition. You can also listen to Inland Edition on your favorite streaming service. Inland Edition is a production of KVCR News. Support for this production, including writing and editing, comes from Rick Dulock, Sharina Wad, and David Fleming. And we get technical website and social media support from Tim Steidel, Sean Houlihan, and Natasha Coles. I'm Lillian Vasquez. Thanks for listening, and bye for now.